Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you guys are all reading and enjoying and listening. It is another wonderful day in self-isolation up, up here in Stony Point, Canada. I have the very distinct pleasure of joining Colin Stenzel. He is the lighting and technical director at Dead Mouse Touring. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you and I got introduced very recently, and I'm really excited to be able to spend some time with you. I think you have a very exciting project and I want to tell more people about it, see if we can get some more attention. Uh, you have put together the ultimate lighting shootout for That's charity. Correct. Yes. So why don't you kind of fill me in on what that is, how it came up and how it, how it's manifesting. So about three weeks ago, I was out in Phoenix, Arizona, painting my grandfather's house and uh, I'm a, advocate uh, for gun rights and I love guns and I brought my gun with me and I wanted to find a nitro 510c to just unload on in the desert to kind of take out some of my frustrations from this COVID nightmare we all got ourselves into and uh, <clears throat> this kind of snowballed because it seems that a lot of people had a lot of interest in watching this and wanting to see it like hey man I'll give you 10 bucks I'll help go down for the 510 and then it kind of hey you got I got more lights I want to shoot at can I come shoot with you and by the end of the week, I had a pallet full of broken lights. I had a bunch of people wanting to donate money, asking me where to send this money. And it just evolved into the ultimate lighting shootout, which we're now going to go shoot all of these broken, dead, miscellaneous nonsense fixtures for a little bit of entertainment, as well as raising the funds that we're going to donate to the Live Nation crew fund. And uh, they're going to match us on it. That is amazing. It is something, living in Vegas, we used to do that all the time. And this was obviously before the days of streaming, but it was such a great way to relieve stress and yeah. pass the time and just camaraderie and blowing stuff up. It's in our nature. It is. It is. Take something beautiful, use it, and then destroy it. It's, it's so disheartening when you take these fixtures that have, done their time they've been working for 20 some odd years and just throw them in the dumpster why not shoot them destroy them and really make sure they belong in the dumpster <laughs> that is absolutely correct you know that old color flag system on the vl3000 that you just can't find belts for anymore they're all worn out just you know unload into it you know put some lead into it and send it to its grave yeah a lot of people a lot of places if the if the Mac 2K is still working, they'll still put it on shows. And next thing you know, we're stuck with a, a festival full of Mac 2Ks. We actually had this dilemma. 
uh, our fabricator that designed the, or that built the cube for us, F5D, they're out there in Hershey, Illinois. Uh, Jason Higgs, the owner, and I called him up and I said, we're doing the lighting shootout. Can you donate some fixtures? He's like, sure, come on down. So I hop in the truck and I head on down there and I get there and he's got this giant pile of old elation power spot fixtures. I'm talking big magnetic ballast, you know, those club lights that were kind of cool, you know, never really made it on a big show. And then in the corner, there's two Mac 2Ks. And I'm thinking to myself, I really want those. He's like, no, I can't, uh, I can't give them to you. I think they still sell for parts. After about an hour of, of uh, debating whether or not they were worth anything, eBay solved that for us. And he hopped uh, on eBay and he found a Mac 2K that recently sold for $275. And he goes, you can have one Mac 2K. <laughs> <laughs> a functioning Mac 2K on eBay? Yeah, there was actually one on eBay that was fully functioning for 275 bucks. So I got Man, the broken one. He had, he had another one there fully working and, and ready to go. And he's like, this one's going to make me $275. <laughs> so I got the well, broken thank one. thank you. Because you know that Mac2K would have ended up on my next festival somewhere in, in the middle <laughs> of somewhere. You know, like, yeah, it still works. So you can use it, right? Like, no, man. I figure if, what, we, can, Mac2K? if we can cut off the migration of our fixtures to the third world countries. So the world touring people don't have to run into them anymore. <laughs> I think we're doing pretty good. <laughs> as long as they, they, as long as everybody's still getting color mixing, I only get really, really bummed when I run into fixtures that don't even have color mixing. And then you're like, Oh man. Yeah, I do too. Flown into this. I can't wait for the uh, Sharpie that it's bright and as fast or a light that's as bright and as fast as a Sharpie that does have color mixing. I'll that be will be a day, especially if it, when it's an LED. I, I, Ayrton's, uh, we're leading the, the charge there. We'll get there very soon. Oh, I, I hope you do. <laughs> we're I'll getting throw, there. I'll throw off a bunch of them on this tour because, man, we need them. <laughs> After this, I'll show you the Karif. It's, it's very, it, you'll, you'll be impressed. Beautiful. Uh, I know a lot of people have tried stuff like this in the past, and they've gotten in a lot of trouble for shooting or destroying new fixtures. I, I don't believe you guys are doing I don't believe you guys are going to fall into that same trap. No, because new stuff, it could be used. We could sell yeah. it, uh, put the money that way, and it can have a way longer life, give a lot of people a lot more joy than something that's broken with a cracked lens or, you know, the, the light that's up on the rig with the cracked housing with all the light shining through that just doesn't work anyway. We'll take that one, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not the new stuff. So who were the first people that you reached out to when you thought that this was going to be the, ne the next best idea? So after it started to gain traction, I thought, you know, who can get the word out? And uh, Christian, uh, is, Christian Jackson's obviously the person that came to mind because he's the main person from our industry that has reached beyond our industry uh, because we're not advertising to people in our industry. We want to get the money that's outside of our industry to help bring it in. Right. So we needed to find external exposure and he's the, he's a great bridge because of his, what he's done in uh, selling all of our lighting secrets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but I think that that was a great start. And from there kind of snowballed to other people that have interest in weaponry and, and guns like Charles tier from uh, top tier designs out in Atlanta. Uh, and then eventually ending up uh, with Hunter Owen, who's also a, a, a good gun guy and a great laserist um from laser wolf effects and we kind of all formed our little circle and teamed up here and it's it's uh seems like it's going to turn out pretty well so beyond 
just shooting them? Are you going full Tiger King and uh, you start blowing stuff up too? <laughs> uh, we can say there's definitely going to be some office space moments. Uh, there's going to be some <laughs> high caliber round moments. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Chris uh, from Lit Lighting down there in Phoenix uh, donated a Hog 1000. And uh, we're going to have some fun with that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that we're kind of going to get a get, or we're going to get a full all around display of really good entertainment. Like we're not just going to sit there and be boring and shoot some lights and try to collect some money. There's definitely be some good comedy involved. Um, some, you know, <laughs> I, what's going through my head, I really can't vocalize it in words yet because it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, and where is this going to take place? So we're going to do it in the middle of nowhere, undisclosed. Very so that, clever. That's probably yeah. for the best. Yeah. In the middle of, literally the middle of nowhere. I don't even think there's cell service for T-Mobile out there. <laughs> and then you guys are going to be up. You guys are going to be live streaming. Correct. We're going to live stream from the location uh, to Christian Jackson. He's going to restream that out to the outlets um, as well as ultimate lighting shootout.com. Okay. And when is this going to take place? This will take place this Sunday, May 17th at 12 noon uh, East uh, Central Time, which will be 10 Pacific. Okay. And so if anybody wants to check it out, it is at ultimatelightingshootout.com. Yep. And that is Sunday, May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific. And all of the funds will be going to industry crew relief efforts. Uh, I believe you guys are dr- going straight through. Uh, I think we're going to throw it at the Live Nation one. Uh, we, they're not affiliated with us in any way. I'd like to say that out loud. Uh, they're okay. not, they're, they have no part in this whatsoever. We're just going to raise the money and pass it off. We're not a 501c you know, charity, right. so we're not, we're not going to take and keep it or try to distribute it ourselves. It's not our game. We're like guys. We don't, you know, yep. We're trying our best here. <laughs> we're all adapting yeah you know if uh if this is something that can generate some good let's give it a shot i hope that nobody exactly. tries to stop us from from doing that you know, ho- well hopefully i try we try to get outside of our industry like i said before and uh get in contact with people who are you know who, who think this is entertaining and throw us some cash yeah i hope there's some uh some explosion fanatics out there who think that maybe some some out-of-work LDs need some cash so that they can go see concerts in the near future. Man, you I got to so. float us for a little while. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in our nature to continue to entertain. And uh, if it requires us to hop in there and entertain in a safe and socially distanced manner, we, you can shoot things from a, from a, from a distance safely and, and you can definitely stay six feet apart. That's what, that's what guns are designed that's to do. True. I had to go out and get a nice new lens set for these cameras to make sure we're far enough apart. <laughs> but yeah, uh, safety is another thing. Now that you said that, safety is another big thing. Charles Tier is going to write up a full safety plan for us. We're going to go through it in the beginning of the stream to make sure that everyone knows that we're not just carrying guns, shooting stuff around, got you know flags for empty chambers on the rifles and stuff like that. We're not, you know, these aren't toys. This is definitely right. a display of entertainment, but at at no time is this, you know, fun and games when dealing with a with a firearm yeah one of the things that i find super interesting between guns and lighting is there's something in our human brains that is just naturally drawn to pushing a button somewhere and making something else explode somewhere else <laughs> there's something about being in front of house and pushing 
you know, the, the strobe button or pushing oh, yeah. up the mold. Absolutely. And they're like, look, when I do this, that happens. And the farther away that thing that happens, the more dopamine surges in my brain. Oh, yeah. If you have one button that hits strobes, pyro, and cryo all at the same time, that's like the ultimate hit. <laughs> that is the dragon that we're always chasing right there, isn't it? So yeah. The farther away, the more things that we do with one button push, and the bigger the button, too. Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> if it has like a glass switch that you have to lift and then like a, a toggle that you have to throw. Absolutely. Those safeties, you turn the key, flip up the red, hit the button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are the ones right there. Or uh, especially if you got to turn the safety off and then pull. Yeah, that's there's something there that just yeah. it uh, it definitely causes all the all the good juices to flow through the brain. Definitely an adrenaline uh, enhancer. Was it your propensity to push buttons and make things explode and happen really far away? Is that uh, is that what brought you into the lighting industry? No, I grew so I grew up uh, as a musician, playing drums, various bands, play a little bit of guitar, I can sing a little bit. Um, but by the time I reached high school, I decided that it was going to be extremely difficult to make it. Right? We didn't. I don't think that we had the sound. I didn't have the creative ability to write those songs uh, to be popular. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest here. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. I bet you I could do those lights. And so at the time, I believe I was probably 14 years old. My dad was in a, uh, and it's kind of like weird art rock band, like prog rock stuff from the 70s and that their kind of sound. It's called Vern. And I would go out and I'd run lights. We had a bunch of mighty scans and an elation show designer. And that was our setup. And that's kind of how I got my start, sitting there making cues and then going to shows and staring over. And I was like, Dad, look at this. He's got the Avo lights, man. Look at that board. Whoa. You know, look what he can do. And uh, eventually just uh, kind of bugged him enough to where we started to get some decent lighting. <clears throat> and that kind of, that time, I guess, as I guess it was out of high school, um, went through a couple of various jobs and ended up right back in the music industry by doing uh, lighting and sound for rave parties. That was really popular at the time, early 2000s. And uh, that was, you know, on and off for a couple of years. Then 2007 rolls around and I'm at a show at the Congress Theater and I'm getting a fight with my girlfriend at the time. I go out to the car. I start the car up. She's got an old Saturn with a, uh, a manual transmission. I just start the car and this car runs over a vintage KZ1000 and happened to be owned by the head of security for the Congress Theater. <laughs> so I have to fix this guy's bike now, right? And I I did well. I said, hey, man, don't call the cops. I'll fix your bike. He drops it off at a KZ shop, and uh, they fix his Kawasaki, get it all buttoned up. They found a bunch of other problems, and he said, hey, man, I want to appreciate you doing me right. You, you did everything you said you were going to do. I'm going to do you a solid. I want you to come meet the owner of this venue because I know that you do some lighting and sound and stuff. So it was like probably like a Thursday or something right before they had a big show. And I walk in there and this guy's like already half in the bag. One of those notorious drunk owners of concert venues. And uh, I walk in and I was like, I think I want to do lighting and sound here. And he's like, can you do it? And I was like, yeah, I've done sound for 5,000 person shows before. No thinking rave parties. He didn't ask what. And he goes, he got the job. I'm like, all right, that's it. And he goes, yeah, just, you know, come by this weekend and you can start working. And I was like, all right. 
So the first show we did there was DJ Arrow and Tommy Lee. And we ground stacked a bunch of MT4 to the hills because the other company that was in there refused to take out their PA that was hanging. And it was, oh man, it was a clusterfuck for my first big show. And uh, luckily there were only 10 people that showed up in the audience because that promoter did not promote it all. <laughs> oh, wow. So that led to a good uh, five to six year stint of production management. During that time, I was able to acquire a uh, Nexo uh, GOT rig, threw that in there, a bunch of lights off upstaging old tours. I got a big uh, 120K rig, threw that in there. Uh, ended up scrounging up a bunch of old Mac 2Ks, Studio Beam PCs, uh, an Avil Lights Pearl 2004, right? Because, you know, we're trying to do this on a budget. Yep. And uh, through that and there, and uh, that's where my love for lighting kind of blossomed because now I'm the production manager. I could choose to hire and fire whoever I wanted. So I was now the production manager slash lighting guy. Well done. Why hire somebody that you don't want to have the job when you can take it yourself? Exactly. Even though my production management <laughs> skills were severely subpar. <laughs> but well, At least you were smart enough to hire yourself as, as lighting guy. Correct. You know, why let that money go to waste? I know I'm good at one thing. So I kind of polished in my skills there. Uh, left that job in 2011 and hopped on with uh, the Life in Color Dayglow guys. And we started a company called Advanced Concert Productions. That whole conglomerate ended up selling to SFX in, I believe, late 2012. I might be a year off with everything. But let's just say for the sake of conversation, late 2012. We're uh, not going to fact check you. Yeah, okay. And then uh, I uh, just kind of toured with that till about 2015, uh, polishing my skills. From, from there, I went from the AVO to the Campsys. After the Campsys, I switched over to MA because I just really wanted to write some macros and be able to have the button do whatever I wanted it to do rather mm -hmm. than what it was assigned to do. Uh, and uh, so then after, the, after Life in Color, I was freelance for a while. Um, ended up landing the design gigs for the Indy 500 for Carb Legends Day and Snake Pit. Uh, doing some other designs here for a local promoter called React Presents. Uh, they ended up uh, becoming an SFX company as well. And uh, designed some stages for Spring Awakening. Um, uh, and, and during this time, I'm still touring with Cedric Gervais. Uh, I was lucky enough to be with him when Summertime Sadness came out. So I was touring with a Grammy Award-winning artist at the time. So that doesn't hurt their resume. And after Life in Color, uh, let's see. Freelance, um, indie, and the production manager that was for React Presents and the Indy 500, uh, Chris Schroeder, ended up hopping on with Dead Mouse. Um, and nice. How did that? How did that turn out? Or uh, how did that come about? Did you get the phone call for that one uh, based on your reputation? No, well, you know, me and him already had a good rapport from going through and taking another you know, 250K stages and dissecting them and being able to rebuild them with our non-metric systems here in the States. So uh, when he took the job, he reached out and he said, hey, man, they're, they're looking to make a change. Uh, do you, do you want to take this position? And I'm like, I would absolutely love to take that position. And, right um, and kind of the rest is history from there because... Uh, we've been able to do some amazing teams with that camp. And how long have you been with them now? Uh, I've been with the mouse since 2016. Impressive. Uh, I would imagine you get to really let yourself get creative on that one and kind of 
push your uh, designs to the le- to the limit. I do. You know, budget's always a thing. Everybody, and more so Everybody when you get up high. Yeah, it gets yep. uh, more and more uh, more and more sensitive to the dollars that are spent. But the shows yep. in the end, uh, hopefully, they're looking good. The cube is amazing. That thing just looks so spectacular. Thank the you. things you guys are doing with that cube are, are very impressive. Yeah, Joel popped that out of his head when I was sitting in a jet flying across Europe, and uh, that was probably that, that was going to be my last jet ride because I could not keep my mouth shut. I'm like, it's going to rotate, it's going to spin, it's going to have fire. Let's put lasers on the inside, and I look over, and Dean, his manager, has got this glare. It's like anger in his eyes. <laughs> I look over at Chris, and Chris also has anger in his eyes, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> this thing better fucking rotate and spin at least <laughs> and, and he's, he's like yeah you're spending all the money i was like well i'll you know i could do it you know for cheap <laughs> they're just seeing the dollar bills fall out the back of the plane there oh as dean's <laughs> going up front and he's opening the door winds rushing through and he grabs me and throws me out the side <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming yeah thanks for coming you had a good run bud <laughs> you're a liability now yeah yeah. Your, your big idea having yeah. son of a bitch. Yeah, every, every word you speak costs, costs us money. Be careful. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, in the end, we actually came in on budget with that cube. And I think that's the first time I've ever uh, drawn something, had a little demo on a plane, get back home. We made like one change of how the piston and the tilt mechanism worked. And then it was off to fabrication, which I wow. believe it's the fastest, uh, you know, from concept to production that I've ever experienced in my career, which was great. And it's good being able to work with a team that understands because from, you know, Joel's head to my computer and to the fabricator's hands to the engineer was ultimately this amazingly seamless process. And I'd really like to recreate that a bunch of times more. (laughs) There's a lot... There's a lot to be proud of when a, a simple idea becomes reality. It's, it's like creating life. It's not, it's, it's not alive, but it, it, it's definitely creating emotions. And it's just from spark to inferno. That process is so much fun. Oh, yeah, especially when the first time you see it and they build it. We built it in this warehouse in um, the South Burbs of Chicago. And we put this thing up, no panels in it at all, and just kind of built this frame tilted it forward and spun it around and everyone is just like wow this thing's big this thing is massive (laughs) (laughs) now we got a tour of this thing what (laughs) yeah (laughs) luckily it comes apart pretty well we actually unloaded it today uh we had a gig scheduled for south africa and then covid hit and uh it sat in a sea container for a month there and a month back, and we put it in an intermodal and got it back at the shop today. And I went up there this morning and uh, with our team, and we unloaded that guy, pushed it in the warehouse, and uh, you know covered her up and said we'll be back in a couple months. Right on. So, what point did you get uh, into the more technical side of lighting? Somewhere between the capital and Dead Mouse. I mean, you know, in the capital, you can barely hang a motor in some of those places oh the congress i'm sorry the congress yeah um the technical aspect i think has always been there i'm a super nerd so if i want to know how to do something i'll find everything about it i'll gather all my data 
I'll lay it all out. Um, and then I'll just go through and find the fastest solution or fastest route. Um, so at the Congress, I was pulling chain, you know, doing everything, trying to figure out what's the best way and who's the best people to hire. And if I don't know their job, uh, I better learn because how do I know if they're doing a good job or not? So I had mm-hmm. to put my hands on everything and that kind of sparked interest in more areas, which, you know, then that when I was at the Congress, that's when I bought Vectorworks my first time. Um, so then I'm laying out rigging plots for tours that are coming in, created a grid so I could send it out for them. And, and it was like the first time ever that theater ever had paperwork and it was great. Um, but I think the real push came from uh, in life and color. When I switched over to the MA, I just wanted more uh, control and functionality and feedback from the council than what I was getting from other councils. Um, and then at the, the, when three point, you know, it was three point one one came out, and they introduced Lua, uh, the plugin system into the MA. I just dove full in all the way and now i'm writing code uh terrible code at the time it was awful um i'm just trying to figure out like how to implement this faster more functional system um into my light shows which is you know i don't know if you remember three one was the first time they uh allowed two macros to run at the same time Mm -hmm. and i had a full macro show file that you just go hit a bunch of macros and they would run and before three one they would run an order and it was like 2911 was the last time that they ran an order. And I, when we updated to 3.1, it was all messed up. My board was doing wrong stuff. I'm in the middle of a show, freaking out, hitting two macros at the same time. And then I'm watching the command line and then looking what's in the pallets. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm in so much trouble. This is really bad. So then I, you know, <laughs> when I discovered that Lua flew, uh, fired in blocks, you know, from a do to an end or, a, you know, a self-contained fast script, even if you fired two, it would wait. I'm like, this is going to be my solution. And I believe that was like the full push over the edge to be a super fucking lighting nerd. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Once you get into the, the Lewis script, you are, you're in the console. You're just short of kernel level programming. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're not telling the console what to do through the interface anymore. You're bypassing so many things. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's representative in this newest show file. I created a console inside the console. So I just patched my show. I built one layout view and I hit go from there. It, I asked me a series of questions and it lays out the board programs, all the punt file. And then I just have to work on specials like special groups, hits, wipes, uh, you know, all the, all the bells and whistles that make the stuff real good that the guy would sit there for 10, 12 hours programming the day before, you know, before you get there. And this is, it's the technology that they've implemented in the MA is just unbelievable. I love it. So from patch to completed show file, you're talking a matter of. Not yet. No, about 20 minutes. To okay. Completely done. You know, I did a stream with Christian the other day and unfortunately it was all blurry and terrible because you're testing the new uh, stream to you, you stream to me thing. Uh, right. It didn't, didn't quite work out, but it was about 20 minutes uh, with some slight explaining to get it all to where we were 100% punt ready uh, with movement, uh, positions, all that stuff. I mean, it's not, it's not a battle anymore. And I, I mainly need this because with an artist like Joel, you need to get in and out fast. We're not hanging around all day. You know what I mean? I need to get in there. I got my two hours and then I got my time at the hotel. 
But honestly, I don't even want to be there for those two hours. There's another guy behind you. Most of the time they're already late. It gets shortened up. I need to figure out how to get this, my job done in the smallest amount of time possible so that all my pallets are right. And then the auto programmers just take care of the rest. You're still spending hours at home on a previs or something to get a lot of certain looks and certain cues and everything like that. Mm, nope. No, nope. you're. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't even have to look at the previs anymore. I can know where the, as long as I go there and I focus my lights, I know that that palette's correct. I know okay. that if I program the script on the auto programmer to grab that palette data and put it at the same spot every time, I know that button will work. Okay. So now I'm just grabbing from common palettes, you know, for all the songs and the special hits, you know, they're like, Joel's music is really complex. So there's a lot of special hits, you know, imaginary friends, you got do, 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 pop, you know, stuff like that never changes. I just have to know to save those little groups where they need to go and hit go and it will be where I need it to be. Okay. Are you, are you still punting dead mouse show or is it? uh, So I punt the time code because when he doesn't give us time code, uh, you're going to have to punt it. So I don't sit on a page. I got a page per song, our song per page. Okay. And I just go press the button for the song and it pulls up the page and I can turn off my last page with a macro and I fire this one, but it's not a set, you know, single button. Cause at any point in time, if we start, go back into a tour and we have to rearrange that time code, I don't want to have to suck things in and out of a fully scripted, you know, Q stack. Right. That would be, that'd be awful. Um, I'd rather just, you know, edit the little time code, little buttons to hit the button at a different time, you know, the, right. the, the time code timeline. And uh, so then I decided, well, I'm just going to make it so I can punt the time coded timeline hits. So I laid out my, I got 10 faders and 10 buttons pretty much for every song. And I just kind of go through beginning and I just kind of step my way down the council until the song's over. And then I go to the next one. Cool. So he, he, you know that he's going in and out of songs, but at least one from, from the, from button a, from button one to button 10, you know, he's going to stay the course for that amount of time. Yeah. Him being a producer uh, helps me as an LD. Uh, okay. Be able to, you know, because he wants to play his track. He doesn't want to play his track with a remix of someone else's track on his track and then flip around all the place. That's not his style. He wants to play his music that he's created, that he spent countless hours in the studio producing and mm-hmm. play it back for the fans. So then okay. he's going to go from track to track to track to track. The, you know, the only thing that I find confusing is when he puts, you know, different stuff in between the tracks that sound like other tracks and you're calling off the wrong songs and you get the wrong colors. So every yeah. once in a while, you, you run into that. But uh, I blame those on the sound guy. Yeah. Uh, when I was working with Calvin Harris, we used to have the same thing where he would, you were, you were positive he was going into one song and he would do the intro for just a few seconds and then he'd just switch it completely and you, yeah. you had to bail out of a song. And, and you, were, you were queued up too, weren't you? You were ready. Yeah, <laughs> you, you got to be ready. You got to be ahead of him. And it's almost like it's his job to try and trick you because if, if, if I get tricked, you know that the audience is going to be surprised as well. <laughs> yeah, there's sometimes we're doing some club shows and he'll lean over and like, how the fuck did you hit that? And I go, what? And he's like, how did you hit that cue? I don't even know when it's going to happen. And then 10 <laughs> minutes later, he's like, you suck. <laughs> uh, so coming up from the rave, uh, the underground rave, did you find that it was a natural progression towards the, the EDM world? 
Uh, I mean, I always wanted to do lighting for bands with those big, you know, giant beam looks and, you know, uh, gobos cutting through the air, the nice slow stuff. Uh, but at the time that I was managing Congress, that's when um, electronic music started to make a real big come up for, um, uh, for the mainstream. And so I was there at the board for like the Paul Van Dykes, the, you know, the dead mouses in the early days. And they didn't, they don't have touring LDs, you know, they had nobody coming with them. Um, a- ATB was another one. There was a whole kind of European influence that flew in there. And I was just at the helm, you know, running and every once in a while you get a guy come in and, you know, like T- uh, Cohen was with Tiesto at the time. He'd come in with the camp system, press all the buttons mm-hmm. and do all that stuff and rock out. And you watch yourself, you're like, man, this is, it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> I yeah. want to be part of this. Man, I remember thinking, uh, God, it wasn't more than 20 years ago where the nightclub scene was like the lower end side of the market. It was the, the light jockey and the Mac 250s. And a lot of people thought that was the pinnacle of where the nightclub scene was going to go. But boy, we're... A lot of people wrong there. It turns out a lot of people love listening to robots. Turns out, yeah. <laughs> I mean, vid- I think video games are the major push on that. I mean, I grew up on all those blips, bleeps, and bloops, you know, Nintendo and, and that kind of stuff. is just, It's just what we're listening to now, just at a way higher bit rate. Now the EDCs are the mega events of the world. They're, they're huge. The Yeah. The where a lot of people would used to think that it was going to be the, the classic rock bands and the pop stars that would fill entire uh, beyond stadiums. Yeah. I think that the stage designs uh, for what they were coming up with, because it was a single person up there and you know, no one's going to watch a single guy on a rock and roll stage with overhead lighting. It's, right. just not, it's just not entertaining. Right? I mean, the music might be great and you must be loving it, but you're there to see and be in the show. That's why you bought the ticket. And so I think a, a giant attraction is these massive stages, you know, the big designers, 250K and, you know, I supply visuals and all that stuff that they started contributing to the scene and, in, in, uh, you know, V squared labs at the time, like all of that stuff, all conglomerating into one massive piece of eye candy was a mm-hmm. magnet for millions of individuals. Yeah. How quickly we switched from being the entire rig to light the band to having three lights for the money right. and 10,000 for the audience. And that's, that's the, the audience became the, the, the hitting the audience in the face became more of a focal point than lighting the band at one point. And I think that's where my interest peaked because I no longer had to worry about if the DJ was lit or not. And I, I really like those guys that go, I, the tour manager said, turn that key light off. And I'm like, no problem. <laughs> yeah. You know. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And then you can just get your completely dark stage. Your blacks are blacks. Your brights are bright. It's all you now. Now it's you are controlling the visual experience for their uh, audio. Yeah. When you don't have to light the money, you're free to go wherever you need to. I would imagine you don't even have any haze restrictions. I mean, you could just haze. I would imagine the more haze, the better. I mean, I am, I am a Hayes fan. However, on this past tour, we had a lot of Hazers. Uh, and we ended up uh, scaling back a significant amount because with video, uh, those oh, pixels yeah. are omnidirectional. And man, does it wash everything out. Yeah, it fills a room real quick. 
Yeah, so if it was only lighting, it would have been great, you know, fog it out, make it look real nice and thick and mystical. But as soon as you turn that video on, I'd rather have the content that Joel spent all his time building, you know, because he makes it all himself, uh, be able to be seen crystal clear as he intended it, uh, rather than fogging it out so you can see some lights. Yeah, um, we end up turning content down so low to not ruin the ambience and the atmosphere. You're running your video walls at 10% and none of the tiles match anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's You just can't even have white in the content sometimes because just a white strip through the content lights the whole room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I like to tend to stay away. I'm, negative space is my big thing. I've, I've been preaching it for years for VJs. Nope. And also, like you know, you don't have to keep it on the whole time. You can stop for a while. Don't play any content. Let the lighting guy rock out. And then come back in, and then we'll do the same. It, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I used to run Calvin with Eamon, we used to just kind of look at each other like, why don't you take this song off? And we would, you know, that's how you go get drinks and hang out for a sec because, you know, taking five minutes off is not going to hurt anybody's feeling. Nobody's sitting there going like, why is there no content in this song? Yeah, that's a, that's a thing that we don't do is go get drinks. <laughs> we prefer not to drink in the middle of the show because man if something goes wrong and you're sitting there with a beer in your fucking hand in front yeah. of the house let me just tell you it's not gonna be a good day for you <laughs> oh man we have come so far i remember nightclubs where you couldn't be a uh a lighting guy without a drink but oh. now we're we have so much more responsibility oh, i know i'd be saying that ava lights i'd have my you know my Chevitz lined up, my Polish beers, you know, lined up for those, the cheap ones in the cooler. They'd let you grab and slam a couple back and rock <laughs> out for some lights. Eventually end up spilling some beer in the council and say, I don't know. It was like that. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was there, like that was when like, I got here. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm the only one that run lights, but I didn't do that. <laughs> but now it's completely changed to, to a nice uh, professional atmosphere. And, and uh, I, I kind of like the change. Uh, especially now that everything's become so technical and uh, intricate that the attention to detail cannot have alcohol in the mix, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've, we've really turned it into a business. It's not, the party is for the, the audience now. The party isn't, doesn't get to spill over to us so much right. anymore. Those after show beers taste really good though. After show beers is where it's at. That's where yeah. that's the time for drinking right there. It is. It is. High fives and good beer. Uh programming when they're you know pre-vising and pre-programming. That's a good time for some drinks. Oh, yeah. After the show, great time for some drinks, but man, if if everything goes right and you're drinking, no big deal. But if one thing goes wrong and you're drinking, you know who they're gumming at. Yeah, I get a, I get all those offers too. The festival guys, hey, man, you want a beer? And I'm like, either I'm yeah, and I set it down, and it sits there till the end of the set, or it's a no. Mm-hmm. And then you get the look like, what do you mean no? That last guy was pounding him back. I'm like, <laughs> good for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one of the things that when I when I quit drinking, that was tough. People, when people offer you the drink and you turn it down, it's like you're turning them down. Like, no, I, I don't. I still love you, bro. You're still my, you're still my guy. I still, <laughs> still need you here. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I just don't want to drink right now. They get all offended and disappear for the entirety of your set and half the rig stops working. <laughs> <laughs> non-drinking son of a bitch. Why won't he drink gonna, on the job? I'm not fixing your lights. 
<laughs> fucking overly responsible LD making me feel bad about my life choices. <laughs> Aren't you a little old to be doing this anyway? <laughs> no, no, I'm exactly as old as I need to be, man. Cause... I mean, I still feel 16 on the inside and that's how I'm going to act. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I started working for Calvin... My 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 whole life had to switch around because you start at 11 p.m. and go till four in the morning, and man, my kids when I came home and I would get home at five or five thirty in the morning, my kids wake up at six and they don't they don't respect sleep at all. They no. that was tough. I had to really kind of fill them in. Like, look, daddy's not a, a drunk or anything. He just gets home at six in the morning <laughs> from work because that's what daddy does. I uh, I got the same thing over here. I got a daughter. She's nine. I come in. I come home on the weekends. Uh, you know, say Sunday. I'll get off the plane, come home, and I am burnt tired because I just spent three days awake. You know, we'll do six shows in three days, and there's no mm-hmm. time for sleep. You're sleeping in a runner van. That's not good. Plane sleep sucks. Uh, yeah. Hotel sleep in the middle of the day really sucks, especially when they don't have those dark out blinds, the blackout blinds in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, blackout drapes and then you come home and you're completely burnt out and then you got to put on the dad hat and that's 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 a struggle it and is r- you ride the struggle bus real hard yeah so i live in this really small town outside of windsor ontario up in canada and i swear to god all the people that are in my wife's circle they think that we're either divorced or i'm in jail or i'm a drug dealer or something because they don't understand where daddy is all the time just tell them all three. See what happens. Yeah. Daddy, <laughs> daddy's out of town. Daddy's got to be here. Daddy's there. Uh, he's going to be gone for three months, two weeks yeah. at a time. And uh, my son, he has a tough time adjusting. He, he, he has the days that daddy goes away are the days that the, the principal calls. And those are always the toughest for us. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that's a common problem with everybody. If both parents aren't there, reinforcing the whole rules thing, that there's always a little bit of you know I'm gonna test my grounds right now because one of them isn't here. You know, mm-hmm. a spoon doesn't swing as hard in mom's hand. <laughs> no. Uh, so I've got twins, and when I leave, they team up and they outnumber my wife, and they are so clever. They're so clever. That's good. They have a chance. <laughs> yeah. We have taught our kids to question authority because we think that's going to be what kids need to know later on in life. But it's so hard when they question my authority. <laughs> like question authority, just not mine and not right now. Have they ever heard your voice at 120 decibels at one meter? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I'm I'm trying so hard to not yell at my kids and try not to hit them too hard, but uh, man, they they they'll they'll test you. I think you. every I think every once in a while it kind of needs it. I mean, my my parents were no we're not shy. You know, you get a spoon in the hand or spanking on the bottom. You know, if you're a real big asshole, flick in the air. You know what I mean? But that kind of stuff it, it straightens you out. If you're not there correcting the path to this narrow to uh, narrow down the attitude on the path, then what are you doing? You know what I mean? You have to help shape them. And if they're not going to listen, well, man, by no means, don't beat your kids. <laughs> That's yeah. not going to work. We are not telling anybody <laughs> yeah. here to beat their kids. Do That's... not beat your kids. Huge disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, a, but, but a little bit of uh, course correction is definitely needed. And uh, 
you know, I can see that like some, you know, some of the older people there, they grew up in the thirties, forties and fifties. It turned out just fine. No one's, you know, no one's out there crying right now, but there's definitely a lot of anti-punishment advocates out there. And yeah, don't really know how, what their kids are going to be like. So my wife and I go back and forth on this one uh, and we've completely abandoned the whole lighting uh, of this podcast. But uh, sometimes when I'm out of town and I come back and I feel like my, my discipline style has been abandoned. So I, I'm afraid that I double, I turn into double dad when I come <laughs> back and I'm trying to like, trying to make up for that lost time. Right. And I don't know if that's healthy or not. I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, Kelly, uh, my fiance will, will, will reprimand in a different way. And she's a little bit of a sucker for, you know, bat the, bat the eyelashes at her, and, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, okay. You know, you can have that. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a second. Teeth aren't brushed. Bed's not made. Clothes aren't folded. Clothes aren't put away. Still poop in the backyard from the dog. There's weeds. What have you been doing all week? And I'm there questioning the authority and she's like, oh, I let her do this because this and that. And then I, I feel like I have to put it on extra thick to yeah. kind of balance out the, the lull and the, and the strict, strict guidelines that I would like in my household. Yeah. So like when I leave, the kids are asking permission to get up from the table and they clear their table and they, they put their plates in the sink. And then if I'm gone for three weeks and I come back and that's not still happening, I know that I have to double down again. <laughs> Got to get that chart chart on the fridge. Yeah, we we got the chart, and sometimes it, it's. I'm not the pinnacle of consistency, but I'm mean, just based on my, my way of life and my. I think our industry is un is, is inconsistent. So yeah, inconsistent. So it's really tough to to go away and come back and expect, the same results because you're the one that's been gone that long they've still been there doing the same thing they're still waking up to go to school they're still doing everything the way they know you're now the outsider yeah i'm the one coming in and trying to change things now listen the king has just been on vacation he's home now (laughs) (laughs) it's so weird because i feel like i'm the one who's who's the viking and i'm going out to pillage and bring home the golden fleece and the and the the bread and the the eggs but uh, sometimes when I come back home, you're like, you are not, you're not the Viking. You're, you're, the, you're the dumb old dad who, who's messing up my system. You're now a local villager. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> We're happy to see you. Uh, give me a piggyback. Yeah. Give me a piggyback ride. Tuck me in. I need a kiss. Good night. You better tell me you love me. And by the way, I'm not putting my dishes in the sink. <laughs> Oh, I feel your pain, brother. I feel you. Yeah. It it definitely makes me want to go out and start shooting up some some old lights when that happens. See? It works out really well. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a good fit and hopefully, you know, we can do more than just one of these. I would really hope that this that the uh, the attention is drawn and the, you know, cuz all these streams that are out there on the internet of the same old thing we used to do, right? This is something that we haven't done, right? I maybe mm-hmm. someone shot up a light before. I don't know. I haven't I haven't really seen it. I haven't seen anybody raise money by shooting up some lights. So maybe we're about to venture into a realm of uh, our production skills, being able to pull off a live produced uh, or basically unproduced off the cuff of fundraising event. Let's just mm-hmm. go ahead and do it. And I'm, I'm not a switch operator by any means. And I'm terrible with video. 
Uh, but I can definitely run a light board and I can shoot a gun. So let's see what happens. So up here in Canada, we could not get away with going out into the desert and shooting up a bunch of stuff. Hmm. Uh, there is no well, they just open took away carry up here. Assault rifles too. Justin Trudeau, right? He took away up until recently we could have everything just short of an ar-15 we could still have up to five and uh we could we could own some of the things that americans can't and we could not own most of the things that americans can but i came from vegas where you could have anything and you could go out into it was all bureau of land management right uh land down there so you could Middle of nowhere. You go out and if, if nobody heard you, it's all fair game. Right. And we actually had quite a few open gun ranges down there where you could safely pay your $5 as a guest. And as long as you picked up your shells and all the garbage, you were welcome back anytime. So it's a, it's a good state. Oklahoma's the same yeah. way. Illinois is a little more restrictive. Can't have uh, suppressors right. or anything fun like that. But you can have all the other guns, just no toys on them. Uh, mm-hmm. Wisconsin's a little more lenient. I mean, it kind of varies state, state to state, but I, yeah, I, de- I definitely know that Canada's a little more uh, strict on the fire weapons because it's not written, written into your constitution that you are mm-hmm. allowed to have them. So they're kind of, uh, they're not rights. They're, uh, what would you say? Uh, no, but they're just not constitutionally written. They're still, I, I would call it a privilege in the fact yeah. that you do have to go and you... So when I moved to Canada, I had to go and fill out, I had to do a two-day form. So we have three different levels. We have unrestricted, restricted, and prohibited. Okay. So unrestricted is uh, long guns, muzzle loaders, and shotguns, rifles, and muzzle loaders, anything like that. Yeah, like hunt, that would, hunting, defense type hunting. weapons. Yeah. And you can get that at a young age. You can get those fairly easily. It, it's a one-day course. Yeah, you're two weeks away from going to get those and you can go to any uh, federal shop and pick them up. Right. Then there's a two-day course which allows you to get handguns and some of the other, some of the higher power rifles and stuff. Okay. And then the prohibited is the a lot of the stuff that you can get in the U.S. Uh, anything semi-automatic uh, and and the sort. Right. Unless things are grandfathered in, which still does exist, and the but the grandfather laws are pretty stringent. Right, right. Yeah, out here it's this, it's this, kind of the same classification. I mean, but now in the states you have uh, concealed carry permits, stuff like that that you can go get. So I mean, I have a concealed carry permit. It's uh, it's got good reciprocity through a bunch of the states. So you can fly with your gun if you wanted to. You can just you know pack it up, bring it into the airport, check it. You know, as long mm-hmm. as you're not flying to New York, you got to keep those bullets and the gun and the clip and everything completely separate. Otherwise, you get a nice fine. I don't do that. Right. Um, but I, I, I really like uh, shooting. I like the sport of it. I like the, you know, 200 yard hit when you hit that bullseye. It's, it's very, uh, it's very thrilling. Ditto. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the shooting. I love the release. I love. I just don't think that everybody is responsible enough to have that amount of power. Agreed. And that is the, uh, I think that's the crux of the gun argument is 
who gets to decide who is responsible enough to own how much firepower? Not me. I'm not that designing guy. <laughs> no. I would love to be able to be the one who picks the people who gets to decide those things, but I don't know if I trust the United States government or the Canadian government enough to be the ones to pick that person. And that is that is a truth. Yeah. Uh, I did an article recently about guns on the road and I, and I reached out to some really prominent uh, gun enthusiasts and gun I remember experts. reading that guy. I remember reading that one. Yeah. About uh, tour managers and carry weapons on buses and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that don't know how many people are out there carrying guns on tour. And I'm, I don't support it. But at the same time, if I don't know about it, then who am I to say? I mean, yeah. you can keep a lot of trouble off the tour if you don't bring the bus to the bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the guys that are getting, who are the most successful with it are the ones in Nashville. They get on the bus, they have it with them. Their firearms stay on the bus. They go to different states. They stay in... Uh, within the realm of of their reciprocity. reciprocity yeah yeah and they're very successful and they come back they have they take their gun with them and and away they go and you're you, are you safer or less safe i, I i'm not one to say but uh, it, it's happening i mean i have a carry weapon i bring it with me a, a large amount of places but i feel that um I feel that in a lot of situations, it's really not needed. Um, I tend to bring it more like if I'm going to a dangerous area, you know, I got a, I got a nice truck and I want to get hijacked. And if I do, I'm going to give, I'm just going to give up the truck rather than dealing with the court case of me shooting a guy. But if it absolutely comes down to it, I would like to have as much firepower as the criminal. If there's the opportunity to defend myself, I don't want to mm -hmm. be like the standalone victim that, you know, gets shot in the stomach and you're laying there on the ground bleeding while the guy's laughing at you. You know what I mean? I would like to, mm -hmm. to, to be able to defend myself as well as he can offend himself. So this is totally off topic, but okay. do you feel like you're more free in a city where you have to carry a gun or are you more free in a city where you don't have to carry a gun? That's a good question. Um, I think that if everyone has a gun, everyone's going to be a lot nicer, right? Because okay. knowing that that other person could be offended and pull that gun on you, you don't want to do that, right? Okay. You don't, want to, you don't want to get yourself involved in that argument. But now if you're in a city that doesn't have any guns and then there's always those lawbreakers who are going to carry no matter what, right? It, it, it always, there's always that like nice edge. You can just say whatever the F you want, but there's always that chance that that guy's going to be offended and he's going to pull something out on you and now you can't defend yourself. So it's, it's more of an all or nothing game. And then mm -hmm. at, the, and at the same point, uh, the guns that you do carry, they're for, they're for self-defense. But if they start taking away all the rights, how, how, it, it say, say something does happen, right? Crazy with the government and we have to overthrow the government. How are you going to do that with nothing? You know what I mean? How are you going to defend yourself with nothing? If all of a sudden, you know, 
the, the orange guy in the office decides that he wants to make a communist society out of it and gets all his rich buddies, you know, to go along with it. <laughs> what are you going to do? I hear you. I hear you loud and clear, but I don't think that gun regulation equals nothing. I think that gun regulation means you have an appropriate amount of guns. I, I get it. As, like, so let's say assault rifle, sport, the sport shooting assault rifle. That's what I have. I have a, an LWRC AR uh, M6A1S. Right? It's okay. a nice, nice compact uh, assault rifle. I use it for sport shooting. And if the gun lobbyists uh, or the, 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 the it says, let's, say, let's say the left, they're the anti-gunners. Okay. Say if the left gets okay. their way and I can't have that, now am I now I can't just be involved in sport shooting now because that's the preferred weapon. I mean that's literally the preferred weapon for mid-range targeting. You know, one to two hundred yards, max three hundred. You're going to get out of that grain. So, what am I doing now? I'm stuck with my single bolt action rifle. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> That I, mean, is, I guess that is where, yeah, that so that, is where the nitty-gritty exists, isn't it? That's it. We just reached the sandpaper. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't see that as a – it's definitely not something I would take on a tour bus. It's definitely not no. something I would carry in no, my – it's, uh, my, it's my, I, I bring that thing out maybe four or five times a year. We go to the range, uh, go out to mm-hmm. a buddy's property, a farm or something, and, and you have some fun because it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that we're allowed to have right? And it's a sport weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if, if in the huge world of ifs, if something happens, you know, I would really like that uh, sport weapon to be my protection weapon. Mm-hmm. I would really like it, you know? Zombie right. apocalypse, great weapon to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Here. I guess I, th- I feel like a lot of people are preparing for the zombie apocalypse. That's never going to happen. I think everyone's always preparing for something that's never going to happen. You know, like the, 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 fair, the, fair. the who, who, who are the, what are they, what do they call the people that, uh, the, the preppers, the preppers, so the, these yeah. preppers are going out there and they're prepping for all this food and we're all thinking they're crazy. And then COVID hits, right. And you can't go to the store your normal time. And these guys are sitting back laughing. They're like, I don't have to go to the store ever. They don't have to come in contact with anybody because they're ready. So who's laughing now? I don't know, man. I, don't, I see, aren't those the same people that are out on the, the the front porch of the Capitol saying like, "Hey, we need haircuts." And I mean, maybe, but they also have maybe. a lot of food. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't know if if, uh, yeah. if the preppers are just sitting there quietly. I guess we would never know that they're sitting there quietly. They're not going to broadcast that they're doing just fine, are they? I mean, I think the nature of a prepper is to kind of be introverted, and so they're probably not out there. They're probably not on Facebook. No. Talking about how big their their stash is, right? No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbor they used to be friends with, uh, they no longer know him anymore, and they're ignoring his 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 knocks at the door. <laughs> they're going full introvert mode. <laughs> I always find that interesting when I see people posting their guns on Facebook. And you're like, wait a minute! I thought, aren't you the same people that are anti-registration? Yeah. You know, why? Isn't the government just going to check your Facebook page to see how many guns you have? I've always thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I'm I'm not all for the public display and brandishing weapons. It's not my that's not my thing. They're for they're for me. They're not for everyone else to see with me. You know what I mean? So yeah. this is going to probably going to be the first time 
I think we got a couple of pictures on my Facebook from like five years ago. We're out at some, uh, some state land in Indiana shooting off some guns on, uh, on, on Thanksgiving. And that's when I found out my fiance was a better shot than I. <laughs> Congratulations. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> set myself up for that. <laughs> Is your fiance going to go shoot some, uh, yeah, she's going to come up some there. old lighting with you. Yep. Yep. She's going to be there. We dropped the kid off at the, at grandma's house and we're going to zip on out. Right on. Well, I definitely look forward to checking this out on May 17th. If anybody is still listening through all of this random bullshit that Collins and I have just uh, indulged ourselves into. We should have uh, just said like, to, we should have said the word lights and councils every five minutes to keep them in listening. <laughs> Please feel free to go to ultimatelightingshootout.com. It is on May 17th. And you can uh, donate to the cause and help out some uh, some roadies who needs need your support. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Collins. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, Chris. Maybe next time we can talk more about lights. <laughs> no. No. I, I'm just waiting for you to have a show that we can talk about, my friend. Oh God, I can't wait for the day. I am. I am ready. I've drawn about 40 parking lot shows. Uh, for mm-hmm. various promoters so hopefully one of them hits i would really i would really like to get working again right on thank you for your time hey no problem chris anytime <laughs>